My Last Name with Robert Slagle is a podcast about leadership and entrepreneurship. Everyone in business has problems. It's how you handle and address those problems that makes a difference. Bottom line is do the right thing. Do the right thing and all you do all the time. My philosophy is it doesn't matter what you do, it's how well you do it. The most valuable thing my dad ever gave me was his last name. It didn't cost him anything, it didn't cost me anything, but it's the most valuable thing that I have. Welcome back to another episode of the recording of My Last Name. My Last Name is a podcast that's starting to get some legs under it, um, and it is it was created to uh, talk about success stories in Appalachia, uh, the tri-state area of, you know, Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, and, and ultimately all of Appalachia. I think uh, sometimes Appalachians don't really get to tout how successful some of them have been. Um, sometimes the media doesn't do the best job of representing the average Appalachian, in my opinion. And uh, this is a great way for us to talk about success stories. And Brad Smith, you're known all over the tri-state and all over the world as a success story. So I'm super honored to get to talk with you today about your uh, your career and your life and hear, um, hear what you would like um, your last name to be remembered uh, when you're gone or retired or in a rocking chair or whatever that may be. Thank you, Rob, for those kind words. I can assure you the honor is all mine. You last lived in Napa Valley or, or I guess, um, Silicon Valley, right? And spent a big part of your life and career out there. What was it like coming coming home to West Virginia? Rob, it was a dream come true. I spent the first 22 years of my life in these mountains and then 36 years living in 10 states, working in four industries, the last 20 years in the Silicon Valley. But candidly, my heart never left. And so for me to come home, my social media post has said it for years. I'm a boy from a small town who spent 22 years dreaming of a way out and every day afterwards looking for a way home. Oh, my gosh. How well said. That is so, so cool. So I am home. This is the house that built me, and I plan to be here and try to help the next generation go fulfill their dreams. And it's really, really a privilege. That I can't I can't say think you could put that in words any better. That's a. That's really, really impactful. I, I speaking of that, I I, uh, I met your daughter Peyton at uh, one of the ball games. What was it? The, was it Louisiana? She's at every ball game, so okay. you could name right. one, and All I right. guarantee you, you would have seen her. So I met your daughter Peyton, and we got to making small talk. And I asked her where she had been around the world, and she did she go to Columbia University? She went to University of South Carolina University for undergrad of South Carolina. and then Belmont and then Law Belmont School. Law School and then in, in Nashville and then and then she went to uh, Silicon Valley with you. Yes. And then and now she's here. Yes. And I said, Well you've lived all over the United States. Where where did where did you like best? Because I know Nashville is just a heck of a fun town. And that's what I expect her to say. And she said, Oh, I'm home. She is. And that young lady with her sister has lived in eight states. And so she's lived in everywhere from New Jersey to Atlanta to Dallas to San Diego to San Francisco. And while she had never resided in West Virginia, she grew up on the stories of Marshall University. She wore Marco gear from the time she was an infant. And she is truly home. 
someone in my family, because I'm from Wayne County, West Virginia, they said she's more Wayne County than Wayne County. <laughs> she knows what it means to be mm-hmm. authentic. And I love that about her. She, you can tell she is authentic. And, and I was just hugely impressed with that answer. She said, there was no question. She said, she said, Huntington's home. Yes. That's, which is cool. You've had quite a career, quite a success story. Who were some of the people in your life that you feel like impacted you or, or pushed you to to be the success that you are today? You know, Rob, I have learned from so many people. It used to be called plagiarism. Now it's called benchmarking. I learn from those that I work with every day. Obviously, my mother and father, my brothers had a huge impact on my life. The community itself helped raise us here in West Virginia. But there was one person in my career, Bill Campbell. They've written a book about him called The Trillion Dollar Coach. Bill Campbell started out as a football coach on the East Coast, made his way to the Silicon Valley as the first head of sales and marketing for Steve Jobs at Apple, went on to become the second CEO of Intuit and then our chairman for 16 years, but was known as the CEO Whisperer because he was the coach to every CEO in the Silicon Valley that you know about. So Eric Schmidt, Larry and Sergey, the founders mm-hmm. of Google, Steve Jobs clearly at Apple, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, myself, and the list goes on. So they wrote a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach because the CEOs that he coached went on to have trillion-dollar market caps. Well, he passed away in 2016, but Bill Campbell was famous for saying, your title makes you a manager, but your people will decide if you're a leader. And so you need to realize that leadership is not about the best idea. It's about winning the hearts and the minds. And I've always loved that about Bill's philosophy on leadership, and I've tried really hard every single day to live up to that. Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell, the trillion-dollar coach. The trillion-dollar coach. That's a neat story, and, and I always say it's a smart person that knows what he doesn't know, and sounds like you were willing to listen to Bill Campbell. And may I so. share a story about the last interaction I had with Bill? Oh, absolutely. It's going to feel a little melancholy, but Bill at the end had prostate cancer, and he was getting weaker and weaker, and so he was having to slowly clear his calendar, and he was working from home. And he refused to cancel our one-on-ones. I was still CEO of Intuit at the time. And he invited me over for my one-on-one and I went in and it was a day where he was particularly weak. And so he had a blanket on his lap and he had a television with the sound pretty much down to nothing. And he had a puppy in his lap. And when I went in, I sat down and he began to ask me a couple of questions and I was giving him an update. Then I noticed his eyelids start to close. And I thought, well, the coach is tired and I'm going to leave him and go ahead and step out. So I quietly get up and start to leave the room. And he said, would you look at that? And I turned around and I said, what coach? And he said, look at that television screen. And when I turned to look, it was an animal planet show. And it had these antelopes who had scrambled up to the side of a river. And they were all trying to figure out whether they were going to jump into the water and cross Mm -hmm. the path. But there were alligators, crocodiles waiting for them. And immediately as I'm standing there watching, this one antelope jumps in and then these others jump in. The water starts to splash and the crocodile get two or three, but they're probably 95 that make it across. And I was puzzled and I turned around and I looked at Bill and he said, God made a special antelope when he made that first one. They jumped into danger to lead the other ones to safety. And I looked at him and he said, he said, that's you. And I teared up and I said, I would too. I said, no coach, that's you. And I went over and gave him a kiss, and that's the last time I got to see Bill. But I've never forgotten that final lesson, which is your responsibility is to get others to safety, even if you have to run towards danger yourself. I've always heard that the 
a, a true leader is actually a servant to the people that he's leading. It sounds like Bill recognized that and you do too. Well, I tried to, but Bill lived it every day. He was an amazing man, and I encourage anyone. This wasn't intended to be a plug for his book because he didn't write the book. Eric Schmidt, the former CEO and chairman of Google, did, along with Alan Eagle and Jonathan Rosenberg. But it is a great book, The Trillion Dollar Coach. If you want to learn about leadership, I do read the book. It's been out for several years now. Trillion Dollar Coach. I will make a note of that. Thank you. In Googling you to prepare for this interview, I want to learn a little bit about Brad, you are a martial arts guy, or you used to be. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So do you still – you look like you're pretty fit. Do you still participate in martial arts or, or some form of athletics? I still get up every morning at 5.30, seven days a week, and work out. It's a one-hour workout. It's a CrossFit workout. It does include a couple of days of martial arts. But to answer your question, I did start martial arts when I was a ninth grader. And I ended up getting a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo and opened up a few karate schools, one in Ironton, Ohio, one in Ashland, Kentucky, and one in Huntington, West Virginia. And that's how Bill Noe and I got to know each other. We attended Marshall together, and Bill took martial arts from me when he was attending Is that right? Yes. How cool. I did not know that. Glad I asked that question. Yeah. So do you think the martial arts taught you some discipline that you've been able to incorporate into your career? Absolutely. I I think two things come out of my martial arts experience. One is recognition that you need to slow things down, keep control of your emotion, be aware of the context, the context in which you're operating. So the first is just be contextually aware. The second is probably more spiritual. Um, Each different martial arts style has different belt ranks. And mine, I'll walk you through what each of them meant because I think it's a life lesson. You start out with a white belt, and a white belt is void of knowledge. So you're innocent. You have no real knowledge. Then the next belt is a gold belt, and that is the seed of knowledge. The seed is planted. You go from gold to green, and green is the growth of that knowledge. And then from green, you go to brown, and brown is the bark, where you begin to actually harden the particular style that you're developing. Because just like a golf swing, everyone has a particular style when they're practicing martial arts. So now that you start to have your style, the next belt is red, and red is the offensive techniques, how to go on offense. And then you go to blue, which are the defensive techniques. It's yin and yang. Mm-hmm. And then you ultimately go from blue to black, and black is void of any knowledge. Now your journey begins. So you have gone full circle from innocence and knowing nothing to the black belt, which is a conscious incompetence that you now realize you have a lot to learn as a black belt. And you Mm -hmm. go through nine different degrees of black belt. So it's full circle where you begin recognizing, you know, nothing and you end up recognizing you still know nothing. nothing. I can, I can definitely, I'm glad I asked that question too. I, I can definitely see how you could apply those belt colors to a career. Absolutely. I, I know a hell of a lot less today than I thought I knew 25 years ago. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. And I'm proving it at Marshall <laughs> University now. I'm at the base of a steep learning curve, and I'm loving every day. <laughs> oh, that's great. Do you know a, um, a gentleman named Master Kim that he teaches martial arts? He's from Huntington or Wayne County. And the only reason I know him is because my brother-in-law took martial arts as a in high school. Yes, he's a dear friend. Oh, he really? He was the dean oh, cool. of the School of Business here for years. He was a professor. I had him in class. Bill No took martial arts from him as well. And Dean Kim and I showed up at the same tournaments, and we still stay in touch to this day. I'll be darned. 
Yeah. He's a phenomenal man. Yeah, never, never met him, but, but I've heard really good things about him. And he is a master in Taekwondo. So when you go up the multiple belt ranks, first degree, second degree, third degree, he's as high as you can go. Right here from Appalachia. Yes, he is. I like it. I like it. If you could turn back the hands of time at, at 16 years old and you could take advice from someone to give you as a 16-year-old, what would that advice be? Be authentic. When I graduated from Marshall, my first employer was trying to invest in me, and they sent me to New York for two weeks to a vocal training coach to get rid of my accent because they were worried working in the Midwest that I would come across as less than educated, according to this individual. After two weeks of taking this vocal training course, I came back and I went to the office and I could see the disillusionment in my boss's eyes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my career is over. And then I began to make these presentations throughout the Midwest, out on the West Coast. And at the end of every presentation, someone would come up and say, who was that young man with that twang? And I realized that wasn't a bug. That was a feature. And so from that day forward, I let my freak flag fly. There wasn't a single person who didn't know I was from Canova, West Virginia. And I did not worry about my accent. And I think it became a distinguishing feature. So I would tell anyone, do not tear yourself down. The rest of the world will try to do that. Be the best version of you you can be. Be authentic. Good. That is, that's a great answer. I, I get kidded about my accent around, you know, around the country. No, you don't get it. You don't get it here. Everybody, maybe you sound like everyone else from, from West Virginia or from Appalachia, but I consider it a trademark. People, you know, you're recognizable. He's the guy with the accent. Yeah. They send actors to class yeah. to figure out how to talk like us, to play a part. <laughs> That's right. Those are the ones you can usually say, they're really not from here. Listen to that. Exactly. So I'm not worried about getting rid of it. It takes a lot of work to get it. The CEO with the cowboy boots and the accent. I know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, what, what aspect of your career has been the most gratifying that's, that's been a success story? To see the capability and the success of the people I've had the privilege of working with. I'll give you a Greek proverb that I love which is a society grows great when the prior generations plant seeds to grow trees in whose shade they will never sit. And so when you put all that together, when I exited into it, I was able to look out at the number of people who had served with me at Intuit that were now CEOs of other companies. And it's more than a dozen. Wow. And these are not small companies. These are large companies from Intuit to LegalZoom, to Headspace, to the Zelle Network, and the list goes on and on and on. Incredible people who came in without any ego. They served as a band of brothers and sisters, and then ultimately went out and led their own teams. And I think that is the greatest honor of all. What an unselfish view. Fantastic. Very sincere view. The only reason why we were able to accomplish anything is I surrounded myself with people smarter than me, and they are living proof. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. You're known all over West Virginia, all over the world, especially all over Marshall University. What are some intangibles that uh, you hope to be remembered for? There was an article written when I retired from Intuit by an employee, and it ended up making it into Fortune magazine. And I could have never hoped for something nicer to be said. But it said, Silicon Valley bids farewell today to the Mr. Rogers of the Silicon Valley. Oh, my gosh. How... That, that I can I could see that I could see the, the my kindness hero. my my hero and and I always tried to share because this is West Virginia and it's West Virginia character and values I've said if my car ever broke down I wanted to break down in West Virginia for two reasons 
people would be kind enough to stop and crafty enough to know how to fix it. <laughs> and so I did not mind being in a dog eat dog world in a highly competitive Silicon Valley and be known as the Mr. Rogers because our company's results spoke for itself. But if the only thing they remembered about me was kindness, I'll take it. I, I, I read a quote one time, maybe it was a, a previous podcast when you said often people mistake kindness for weakness yes. and that's, that's not the case. And I, I agree with that. No, in fact, it takes more courage to be vulnerable and to be kind. And I think the world needs more of that. We need more civil discourse. We need to learn how to speak without being offensive and listen without being defensive and leave our adversary with their dignity at the end of a disagreement. So if we can do that, if we can be more civil towards each other, more kind towards each other, a lot of the things that we think are problems will go away. Thank you for saying that. And I can tell you're very genuine about that. No question. My father and my mother role modeled it every day, and I try really hard to be just half the person they are. Your, did your parents live their whole life here in, in West Virginia? My mother still lives in the home I was raised in. I drove by the day that I was officially announced here. I knocked on the front door, and she came out. It was 38 years after I told her I'd be home in two years. <laughs> and so I knocked on the door, and she opened it up, and I said, Mama, I'm home. Which, if you've seen Forrest Gump, yeah, when he comes yeah, home from yeah. Vietnam, as he says. Vietnam, yeah. And he said, Mom, I'm home. I'm she home. smiled and she said, Honey, I have your G.I. Joes back in the toy box. I've saved them. <laughs> and you think that's funny. I said, Mom, I'm 58 years old. I have a wife. I have two grown kids who've graduated from university and law school. And I haven't played with my G.I. Joes for years. And she said, I know, honey, but I remember how happy they made you. So I kept oh them just gosh. in case. Wow. So I still have my G.I. Joes and my mommy. Right yep. down there in that same house in Canova. <laughs> my dad passed in 96. He was the mayor of our hometown, and he passed in his second term, unfortunately, at the age of 58. But he's still with us in spirit. And when you go to Canova, the town square is named after him. And Oh, really? Yeah, he still, he still lives on. You know, Rob, is why I love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it is important for this next generation to take their seat at the table and to believe in their heart that they have a seat at the table. And I'll tell you why. West Virginians are a special breed. We are dreamers and doers. We celebrate inspiration. We celebrate perspiration. God made us out of grit. God made us out of grace. We came from families that mined the coal, that forged the steel, that built the roads, that carried the trucks. We fought the wars. And then when we needed to put a man on the moon, we produced the rocket boys in the movie October Sky that built the first NASA rockets. And then when we needed to get the man safely back to Earth, we produced Catherine Johnson and the hidden figures to get him back (laughs) to Earth. We have always answered the call. And somewhere over the last 20 or 30 years, people began to tell us, tell Appalachians that we didn't belong anymore. And we believed them. I don't believe them. When you look at who has come out of Appalachia and what we have done, we have always set the standard for the rest of the world. So I want this next generation to realize that is their seat at the table. Take it and own it. And that is exactly why we're doing this podcast is to give a sense of encouragement to the young people, the, the folks that consider it's a lot of them considers themselves failures or they'll never be able to get there from here or they can. And there are a lot of success stories out of, out of Appalachia. Brad, you're certainly one of them, but um, I think we need to tout what can be done and what, what a great community we have and what a great area we have and what great moral values we have. And we have something to sell to the world and we need to get out there and sell it. We do. And the world needs it right now. I often get asked, what's the difference between West Virginia and Silicon Valley? And I say one word, 
when you ask West Virginians, let's go build this new thing, they say, why? But when you ask Silicon Valley, they say, why not? We have stopped dreaming big yeah. in some circles, not all circles of Appalachia. And we have to start to dream bigger again. We can do anything that anyone else can do. Because when you read the book by Angela Duckworth called Grit, she has studied for 30 years what's the number one predictor of success in any profession, professional athletes to industry. And it is perseverance and grit. And if you want to find grit, come to Appalachia. Oh, my gosh. I I. I absolutely a thousand percent agree with that, and I'm and I'm not just I'm not just giving you lip service. I can so relate to that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I was given a a worn out portable toilet company that was going to close down, you know, twenty five years ago, and told, you know, you ought to try to bring that back to life. Well, now we're on six continents, but it was a you know, it was a, a portable toilet company with three employees and three trucks in the city of Ironton, Ohio. You have to dream big. You have to swing for the bleachers once in a while. Congratulations. And thank, thank you, you for setting the example. That's what will lead the next generation to believe they can do it too, which is great. So, Brad, the way this podcast got started is I mentioned that I, the most valuable thing that I possess is my last name. And it was something that my father gave me. Uh, it didn't cost him anything. It's very valuable. And it's only valuable if I take care of it and pass it on to my kids unblemished and what do people what do you want the world to remember about brad smith and your last name and your legacy i love that approach i love my last name people tease how's it feel to be a smith it's the most common name well i'm a wayne county smith (laughs) i came from larry and judy smith i stand on the shoulders of giants and what i want people to remember is that I was a champion for the overlooked and the underserved, that I was a warrior for human dignity and human potential, and I fought to level the playing field of opportunity for anyone who had the desire and the grit to try. And that's all I want to be known for, is I was the next one in line, and then I held the door for the group to follow me. Brad, thanks Thanks for your comments. Um, Listeners, thanks thanks for listening to this podcast. This has been a Really, really impactful uh, interview. Uh, your answers were over the moon. You've certainly inspired me with, with your answers. And uh, I'm excited for the people of Appalachia and what we're about to do.